Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Prey, the newest film from Hulu and director Dan Trachtenberg. And joining me today, uh, he was on one of the first 15 episodes of The Rewind talking about the Predator movies, which, you know, are, uh, are, are part of the same franchise. It's Daniel Lima. Daniel, how's it going? Glad to have you back all these years later to talk about this. Very excited. Very excited. And we're also joined by uh, another recurring guest, Elijah Howard. Elijah, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So as I said, Prey is, you know, within the Predator family, though, it's like I actually guess the first one of these movies and all the different incarnations of Predator there have been to not actually have Predator in the title. But it, uh, it, it predates all of the other movies, any of the other Predator movies you've ever seen, as it is set in the early 18th century in the Great Plains. Among, and we kind of are uh, put amongst the, uh, Comanche, uh, the Comanche tribe and uh, a young woman named Naru, who is part of the tribe. And she is, you know, uh, trained in uh, healing and but like wants to become a great hunter. She has a hunter. Uh, she has a brother named uh, Tabi, who is uh, played by uh, Dakota Beavers. Naru is played by Ander Midthunder, who some of you might know if you had ever watched Legion and uh, Longmire, and she's been acting for a little while now, and this is kind of a you know a big break for her. And uh, but Naru like w- wants to hunt. She has a she has a dog. Uh, uh, I think its name is like Sorry or something like that. She uh, but w- while she's out and about with Sorry, she witnesses some kind of uh, some kind of uh, anomaly in the sky. Uh, and she wants to, you know, kind of investigate. And she also tags along with her brother on a hunt for a cougar that attacked one of the other members of the tribe. And um, when, when they're on this hunt, they uh, she, she starts seeing other things that she realizes probably aren't the result of a cougar. And she ends up, you know, having a chance though to kill this cougar, but then uh, is unable to success- successfully do so. And uh, her brother and a lot of the other, or a lot of the other male members of the tribe, like, look down upon her because she's a woman that's not as natural, not not quite the, on the level they are as hunting yet. But she's very determined, and her brother is nicer to her, but is also a little bit frustrated with her persistence that there is something else out there. And we come to see that there's something else is uh, one of the same kind of uh, predators that we know from all these other movies. Just obviously a very early incarnation of one and uh naru sets out to try and uh, track the predator and kill him to protect their tribe i guess i'll actually start with you elijah because you reached out about wanting to talk about this one it's something daniel had been talking about with me for a while but i didn't really like talk to you that much about it i just know you're like hey i want to do that one and i said sure cool and so i don't really actually have a lot of context for your predator fandom i in advance of doing that podcast that i it's crazy it's almost been four years since daniel and i did that one i watched like all of these movies and i um i don't think i liked them as much as daniel did uh there is as daniel like some of them but like i still did it i did my homework and i did it and uh i know a lot of people are very fond of these movies and i don't know if i had quite that same um quite, quite that same connection to them but like i I'm, I'm assuming you also like 10 cloverfield lane elijah which was you know uh dan trachtenberg's debut so i i I don't know what your relationship is with the franchise. Do you consider yourself a big fan of at least some of the Predator movies? Or were you just like, I'm really pumped to see what uh, Dan Trachtenberg's follow-up is, and I've heard good things, so I really want to talk about that? Or is it just some kind of combination of the two? Where did your excitement for this movie come from? Yeah, definitely definitely a little bit of, the, of both. I um, I like the first Predator movie quite a lot. Um, it's obviously, you know, kind of... And, you know, we can get into a whole conversation about quality, whatever, but it, no, I don't think anybody would dispute that the first uh, Predator movie is iconic. Um, 
I think, and and that's maybe. I think maybe I think, I think, I, think I, I, I think our friend Daniel here might call the second one iconic, and people might dispute that. Well, well, right, <laughs> we, we can talk about that. But I mean, I think the first one's iconic, and I appreciate it. But I, something actually, Daniel and I agree on, maybe not to quite the same extent. I actually also like the second Predator movie quite a bit. That was kind of the kickoff for me was watching the second Predator movie and seeing it like, you know, the response to it was like, nobody likes this movie. And I was like, but this movie's this movie's great. Like this movie is so ridiculous. And so like it, it has like it's so knowing it has to be deliberate. Um, and, I, and I really enjoyed it. And I remember, you know, seeing Predator shortly after it came out and like I didn't love it quite as much but i it's it's fun like it's it's never time wasted watching that movie um and for me you know i was not a big fan of the predator um so you know that that's my relationship with the franchise up until this moment right and so after the predator i knew that there would probably be more films um but i was not necessarily as enthused as i would have been before and then i saw that dan trackenberg was attached to the project and 10 Cloverfield Lane, I think, is one of the greatest thrillers of the last 10 years. Um, and I mean, it was it was excellently masterfully directed, you know, a sing- single location film and just really excellent, like textured performances that were brought out of the actors. And, and I was very impressed as a, you know, a freshman calling card from Dan Trackenberg. So seeing his involvement in this film definitely like after the lull of the predator it you know really brought me back up to god every time i say the predator i feel like i'm saying like the ohio state <laughs> university <laughs> the predator um I, you know so that was for me that was really yeah i was i was back on the ride and you know obviously the trailer came out and i by the time i think the trailer came out i had kind of forgotten that this was even happening so I saw the trailer and then you see like that first shot of like the, you know, invisible, you know, like silhouetting of the predator. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah. It, 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 I got it. Yeah. Saying the predator is very weird. And it's like, you know, I feel like I, they'd kind of run out of options for uh, Matt Reeves is the Batman. I kind of get why it just ended up there when it was kind of going to kind of be its own reboot. But it's like Cape Crusader. But I, I feel like Predator Returns is right there for them, you know, right? That, that they could have just done that. Like Batman couldn't go back to saying something like that. But like Predator Returns would have been fine because that was like the most. I guess that was fairly modern compared to you know the ones that had come before it. I mean, here could have been like here at least they went with something totally different. Prey, and we can talk about even what that necessarily means. Daniel, uh, I mean, I, I know you were pretty excited about this too, and I think your your, your opinions on the earlier movies might be a little, you know, uh, idiosyncratic compared to some. Uh, so, what 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 exactly intrigued you about Prey as some uh, beyond the fact that it was just associated with the franchise? Well, honestly, I mean, that is it. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Predator franchise. Uh, I think even bigger now than I was at the time that we recorded that episode back in 2018. Mm. Uh, I'm still pretty soft on Shane Black's, unfortunately, but I've gone back and rewatched the original Predator. And every time I go back and rewatch it, I've rewatched it twice this year. Um, hmm. It is it has become like an actual like real favorite of mine. Like, I think that it's a wonderful commentary on the genre beyond just being like, you know, the Vietnam allegory um, and Predator 2. I rewatched earlier after I rewatched after I saw Nope, um, I rewatched Predator 2 and I was like, yep, still the best of the franchise. Beautiful movie. <laughs> And I do have a fondness for Predators. So I was, you know, in the, uh, what's it called? I, I was already prepared to, you know, 
be excited for this movie. And then Dan Trattenberg, that guy, he did 10 Cloverfield Lane and then dipped. Uh, he's had like a bunch of different projects get announced and then it fell through like Uncharted, Why the Last Man. So it was very good to be able to see him, you know, in the director's chair for like a franchise that after 2018 kind of did need this kind of revitalization. The premise sounded really cool. Putting uh, the uh, this high tech warrior, the predator up against, you know, an even less prepared foe or victim or prey, I suppose, um, in this Native American tribe from like the 1700s. So mm. everything was, you know, lined up for me to like really get something out of this. Yeah. So what would you ultimately think? Did it, did it, did it give it a thumbs up? You know what? I finished the movie, said that was really solid. Then I rewatched Predator. Then I rewatched this movie in Comanche because uh, I don't know if we mentioned oh, that yeah. um, right. this movie was shot in English with like a sprinkling of Comanche words, but there is also a dub released simultaneously, which makes it, I think, the first film to be entirely mm-hmm. dubbed in Comanche. And uh, you know, the, orig- the original cast comes back to record, re-record their lines in Comanche. I'm fairly certain that if you actually spoke Comanche, you'd be like, they sound terrible. But for me, fine. Um, and I rewatched it in Comanche. And, you know... I like it a little less in Comanche or just because you can compare no, just Predator. after the rewatch after the rewatch interesting uh can you interrogate that for a second and before I give ask Elijah for his opinion after seeing it the first time it was you know it, it was like a really good lean uh bare bones genre thriller but then when I put it next to the original film I think I sort of realized that it feels in a way like a a paler imitation of that original there's some stuff that i do quite like but it, it it just doesn't do what that first one does and it doesn't do enough to differentiate itself like um you know predators or like predator 2 uh for it to kind of stand on its own as its own thing so i think i still like it but we can you know see how much i do as we go on in this episode Interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, God, I, 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 I wish I had more time in my time right now to like be able to go back and do some of these rewatches. I just haven't. I, again, I watched the first, uh, I, or I, I guess I watched, no, no. I, okay. So I, I never actually watched predators. I've seen Alien vs. predator, but I never watched predators. And huh. I, I don't remember why I didn't do that when we, because predators had obviously come out when, uh, when we did the movie on the, when we did the podcast on the predator. So, but I, I'm looking at my letterbox review now and I was just like, man, I watched predator, predator two and the predator in three days. And now my brain is fried. So I didn't even like feel like writing much about it at the time in letterbox to give myself any insight as to what I was thinking at the time. But like, it, the, I, I, the, but I, I do know enough to know that like the first half of predator didn't really, really didn't do it for me, but the second half did. And, uh, I, I, I don't want, I'm not going to say anything, cast any aspersions on it. Cause it's been four years. Uh, but like, I mean, I, I really did like this and I, uh, but like, I, who knows, maybe my, my relationship with it might be a little different if I familiarize myself a little more, Elijah, where did you ultimately come down on prey? Did you, uh, this, this unique spin on the material, did that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, you know, it's, there is a key difference to this film, um, even more than just the, you know, the transposition of the, the time and location of the story, and, and that's that's what makes the best uh, kind of conceits of these Predator movies, right? Is that Predator was a, was such a simple concept, you know, in the jungle. And this great, you know, this great hunter is not 
a jungle creature it's an alien from a different world like that was great and then predator 2 there's a lot of great things about predator 2 but it got that pithy idea it was like we're going to transpose that story to the urban jungle that is la and it you know works amazingly and then predators was like what if we reverse it you know what if we put the humans on the alien planet and it you know and so that you know that's to what i'm saying to that effect is right like this movie prey understands that that's like what makes the best predator movies or what makes what makes predator movies tick is this really just a simple pithy concept but what i think prey did really well what dan trachtenberg i think did with prey really well was draw from a completely different well uh stylistically than the other films and i don't mean that in the action or the genre thrills uh, what I mean is in the narrative pacing and the style of storytelling. And I think it just boils down to the generational divide between filmmakers, right? Uh, Predator 1, the, f- the first Predator movie, and Predator 2 were a product of the 80s. And it's very clear to me, at least, that you know John McKiernan, Stephen Hopkins, heavily inspired by people like Sam Peckinpah. Um, and, you know, spaghetti westerns and, and things like that. And there, there is a sense of instant action, of, you know, narrative following the action, things like that. And I don't cast any dispersions on that. I think The Wild Bunch is a great film. I mean, I love, there's plenty of Sam Peckinpah films I love. And it's, it's fine to take inspiration from that and make movies like that. Dan Trachtenberg, on the other hand, is, I mean, he's not, our, you know, our age necessarily is in the people in this conversation, but he is certainly not John McTiernan's age or Stephen Hopkins age. He is, he's a younger guy. Um, and, and it's this weird moment, right? Where it's like Dan Trachtenberg was raised on films from the eighties. And I think that shows most clearly right in this film where the inspiration isn't coming from Peck and Pot, isn't coming from instant action. It's coming from John Carpenter. It's coming from this idea of action building out of narrative and, you know, taking your opinions on that where you will. But I, I liked that. I liked that for a new film, for a new location, for a new kind of thematic, you know, piece of thematic material, we get an entirely new narrative drift uh, for the franchise. And I, I really appreciated that. I really appreciated uh, a Predator film that kind of, inverts expectations in a way and you know allows the action to build from from these characters and from their from their motivations and from you know their actions yeah I, I, i'm glad you brought it to that point because i think the thing that i probably got the most out of it was just that it, i mean it's easier to do this i'm not necessarily like trying to criticize the other movies when i say this but i, I liked how character based it felt but it's easier to do that when you're when you have a smaller cast you know a lot of those other ones are you know like uh, i mean at least the predator and to a lesser extent predator pre- predator are like kind of chopping down a larger cast as they go along necessarily. And here it's like so focused on Naru that like you, I, I, I just felt a little more connected to her maybe than I've done in, than I have been other characters in these other movies. So I, I just felt more invested in a different way. And I, I respected how I did that. And I, in, 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 you could even say the same uh, about her brother too. And uh, like, I mean, I feel like he's given a, a, a pretty decent arc, even if like she's, she's obviously very clearly the lead and I really liked it. And I, I really liked Amber Midthunder's performance. And I think it I mean it has a lot of else going for it aside from that that we'll talk about with respect to the action and uh 
in, in the in the look of the movie and all that and the, the way that dan trachtenberg builds tension which is no surprise that he was able to effectively do that but i just i i, I just really like the choice to kind of like focus it on this one person's story but like obviously still get a lot of the hallmarks you might want to get out of one of these out of one of these movies and i guess i guess one other thing i want to ask elijah but then i want to ask daniel about too because as someone that's like kind of reimmersed himself in some of these movies just this year it's, it's funny I, I talked a little bit about this before he got on elijah but like i couldn't help but think about the look of this movie as i was watching it because i think this movie came out and got released in a way that like i think is really interesting in light of the moment we're in with respect to like the discussion that's going on around around blockbuster movies and visual effects like it's just i think it's really blown up more so around the marvel movies but i'll, I'll it's like, I mean, I feel like two different writers I follow wrote like big pieces in the last couple of weeks about like what's wrong with VFX in the industry right now. Um, and, uh, and it's something that you're a little closer to with what you do on a daily basis. But I just had this thought as this movie, which uh, funny enough, like, you know, didn't actually get a theatrical release, like a lot of the movies that people are have been criticizing recently. Uh, I, I thought like it was like funny that like this movie that in theory, it was made to be a movie in theaters. It just wasn't put there. I thought actually had like a uh, pretty good visual effects. Like you got the, there's like a fake wolf, a fake bear and a fake cougar all in this movie that all looked pretty fine. And you got all the other visual effects that come with the actual alien himself. And I'm kind of curious what you thought as someone watching this movie that like probably knows a lot more than your average, like listener of this, of this or most movie podcasts about how these things come to be like what they were able to do uh, visually with this movie. And like, given what you knew about this franchise and what, the, what they're working with as far as the kind of, you know, characters and action they want to accomplish. What did you think about the look of this movie? Cause uh, one, I mean, aside from both, both from the perspective of the visual effects, but where they, how they made use of this, like uh, dub, having Calgary double for the great planes. Like what was your takeaway as you're watching this movie and you're taking it in? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great, great cinematography, obviously, and kind of benefits the, you know, the VFX uh, you know, it's easier to kind of fold some of that stuff in when you're looking at really nice environments anyways, <laughs> kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, the vi- I thought the visual effects were good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I do, part of me wonders, right, this movie, you know, I think the, the conversation to move it to a streaming platform only uh, happened somewhere fairly early on and it's, you know, in its production life cycle. So part of me wonders, if it could have looked even better, mm. uh, you know, if it had had a, you know, a theatrical release and there had been more money put behind it. And that's certainly not to disparage MPC or ILM. I mean, I think they, they did a really good job, but at the same time, and I think Daniel will probably agree with me on this. The best part of predator has always been the practical effects. Mm. The, the design of the Yacha, the design of the Predator is like, it, it's, you know, one of the best creature designs in cinema history. And I, I think that was the one of the biggest sins of the Predator, right? Was the was the midway drop reveal where it's like, oh, the, like, we're, predator. yeah, like the big Predator and it's yeah. just CG and it sucked. Like, yeah, it was... the only the only part of that movie that I remember look back on fondly was there's like one action set piece using the practical predator that I remember being like, Oh, this is actually pretty good. This is kind of what I had come here for, but everything else was like too much. Yeah. Yeah, It's one great set piece with the practical predator. And then he literally gets decapitated by the CG predator in the middle of the scene. (laughs) And, and that, that, I think that was the moment where I was like this, there's no way this movie gets above three stars for me. (laughs) Like (laughs) maybe I'm being mean, but like, no, so yeah, I mean, look, the C- the CG I thought was was good. I do think, obviously, it like I said, it helped 
when you're you're shooting for uh you know uh, for for 16 by 9 full uh widescreen uh you know for because you know i think it might have been matted 20 but this was it, it wasn't a cinema it wasn't a theatrical release it, they knew it wasn't going to be a theatrical release so they weren't shooting anamorphic 235 239 like they weren't shooting these super tight scopy aspect ratios they were shooting for you're probably going to be watching this on your computer mm. right but you know what i i gotta say as somebody who is usually just not into the visuals of a movie, I don't know as much about the technical aspects. I was watching Prey and in my head, I was thinking this feels for all the conversation about how it would have been great to see this movie in a theater. I kept thinking to myself, this feels like it was made for TV. Interesting. Okay. Um, and I think that that is honestly where I think the biggest division and how much we enjoyed this movie um, is going to lie is that I kept watching this movie and just feeling like as much as I appreciated like the attempt to focus more on the character of uh, of uh, um, um, Naru that's her name right yeah um, to focus more on her character and like her journey uh, you know to prove herself I wasn't I, I never really fully bought into it not in the same way that I got wrapped up in Predator or Predator 2 and I think a large part of that is that it lacks the sort of stylistic visual storytelling of those movies uh when i look think back to predator i think to this tropical environment and how they make this wide grand expanse also feel so claustrophobic at the same time um i think about the heat of la in predator 2 there's almost the 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 frenetic like energy, the production design that was so like, it, it felt like a canon movie in a way um, for and Predator 2. Like they both had very unique, distinct visual languages and personalities to them. And with this one, I don't know, like, I mean, I know I'm talking to the colorist so he can comment more on that, but it felt very, I don't know, desaturated. Like the, the, I, I never really bought the forest as a character, so to speak. And considering, you know, how much of this is uh, Naru alone navigating this wilderness that is supposed to be her home, the fact that I never really felt a true sense of place in this forest and on these in the in the Great Plains, I thought the movie really suffered for it. I I will say maybe I can put words to kind of what you're feeling because it was something that that did occur to me. I I felt like I was fine contextualizing it differently, but I will I will say I agree that maybe one key visual difference between this film and every other Predator film is the amount of visual noise and, and busyness. And that's usually people will say that as like a complaint, right? It's like, oh, this film was too busy. Like there was too much shit going on. But that's kind of part and parcel to a Predator film, right? Like you can, you can, add so much grunge to the original predator film because it's more than just some dudes in a jungle it's dudes in a jungle with heavy heavy weaponry heavy small arms explosives um and you know and that all plays into the overall look of the film i mean past like the first 20 minutes there is no part of the predator that is not absolutely drenched in like cordite smoke and you know flying wood chips and <laughs> just you know just absolute mess of visual noise and predator 2 is the same way uh you know it's you've got i think daniel really hit it on the head right this like crazy evocative like german expressionism come you know american <laughs> american western production design of like 
these ridiculous buildings that you know don't make any sense and it's almost kind of like the city of la is transformed into like a sort of mad max sort of um right. um, um territory you know almost <laughs> post-apocalyptic right exactly um and so and and i think that's we we just associate that as what a predator film looks like and i you know i get that for me i was fine with prey not looking like that because it is supposed to be this kind of first encounter right this idea that it's like we've stripped away all the layers and all that's there is this elemental relationship this you know the predator and the prey 2022 uh you know <laughs> like that's and so uh, yeah well I, I, here's the thing like i i hear you but i don't know like i feel like if you're going to strip away that sort of noise um then you have to like sell some other aspect of the environment around you like i mean i, I like i imagine think of like I don't know, Fargo, right? Fargo, I think of like these vast or even something like um, actually a a Western, um, the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit, um, where I imagine like, I don't remember that being a particularly busy movie, a lot of time spent out in the wilderness, a lot of vast expanses, but there's a serenity to it, you know, that I think does come through. And with this, it feels... I don't know, like maybe it's down to the pacing, which, you know, generally I do sort of like the narrative structure of this movie. I think it works in part because it's very much like Predator, uh, which we can get into a little later. But like it just to me lacked even like a sort of like if you're going to go for a stillness, if you're going to go for the emptiness, then you're going to have to sell it. It just felt to me to be rather, I don't know. And I I don't mean to be too insulting here because I did like the movie generally, but like, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you about stuff you like next. So go ahead and finish your point and then you can talk about the good stuff. (laughs) It's good. It it does feel to me kind of plain. Uh, it, it, It feels kind of bland in a way. Like it feels like the sort of, it sort of feels more like, a prestige TV show than it does like a movie, an event like the other Predator films do. Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned that like not necessarily having the best sense of place. And it's not something that really bothered me that much during the movie. But now that I think about it, it does feel like the setting within that, within the planes of this movie kind of like changed whenever the plot needed it to, but it didn't necessarily feel as like, I don't know, contiguous as it could have, if that's the right word. Like it's just, okay, well, we want to have a, we want to have a scene that's kind of like, feels like it's more on a battlefield. Okay. Now they're going to have this big open space or now we want to have like a bear chaser and a beaver dam. All of a sudden that's where we are. Or now, or, 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 or now we need to like, you know, have this scene through all the woods and hear the woods. Like I, 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 I'm not really sure there's a real good answer to that, but I can see how maybe it didn't really necessarily feel like it was kind of of a place in, in, in quite the right way. I mean, and also like there's like a scene where she like uh, floats down the river for what it feels like a good amount of time. And all of a sudden her dog just finds her again. It's like, wait, how did that dog get there? I, I don't know. I mean, unless it's just a really smart dog. I don't know. Um, but, it, but like, I, I, I want to ask you about a couple of more specific scenes in the movie, Daniel, and uh, maybe we'll back up and talk more broadly about other action set pieces that you like. But I think, you know, maybe, maybe one thing that I do feel like might've been, you know, a little more specific in a way that you guys are like maybe speaking to is for instance, like, or I, I Elijah mentioned the practical effects earlier. And I listened to um, Trachtenberg on the big, the big picture with Sean Fennessy today. They made that quicksand pit from, uh, or that quicksand um, mud pit from, from scratch. 
I'm wondering, like, did, did something like, did, did a set piece like that feel more inspired to you, Daniel, and work for you any better? Not, not necessarily because you might have figured out it was practical, but did, did the way it was shot or the way it looked, did something like that that felt a little more, like, a little different compared to some of the other stuff, did that do anything more for you when you think about stuff you liked in this movie or are you thinking about other stuff? Man, did I like this movie? Here's the thing. You just said Here's you liked thing. it like two minutes ago. I know, I know. But the more we talk about it, the more I'm, like, trying to find what exactly did work because you actually mentioned there like you know talking about fight scenes action set pieces moments of the film that you know resonated with you and i'm glad that they did but like i think back to it and i'm like those moments just don't they don't it's not like you know when i think back to predator 2 i think back to uh the train sequence i think back to him meeting the jamaican drug dealer i think back to um um him saying all right your move pussy face you know i think or or the set piece in the packing meat factory um predator 1 plenty of fucking iconic moments there like and like none of the moments here are sold in the same manner there's no primal shot of like um uh arnold schwarzenegger caked in mud holding a light a torch and you know on top of like this like rafiki looking over the battlefield screaming primally it lacks that sort of energy it lacks that sort of visual storytelling uh it, there's moments that are nice like I, the quicksand scene it's like i think honestly this would get gets to i think the, the the good parts of this movie it is well edited you know they know he has a command of like tension within the scene um so that you're you're there with these characters as you're watching them like even though of course you know that she's gonna get out of the quicksand it's you know 30 minutes into the movie you know and she's not dying but like the you know her throwing the the axe to try to get her out pull get the rope to pull her out like it's perfectly paced in a way that you know it has a rhythm that naturally keeps you within that moment and all the action set pieces do um but it it just lacks i don't know that x factor it lacks that magic to me uh, elijah were there any particular moments of the film that like are going to stick with you that actually were that kind of moment for you that were lacking for daniel i mean all i think all of the the set pieces I I liked well enough. I understand what Daniel's saying, and I I to some degree I I accept that. Right? I mean, like the I, this is going to sound maybe harsh, but I I would agree, right? That a lot of the set pieces feel like pale imitations of moments from previous Predator films, especially the last one. But that doesn't, it didn't stop me from enjoying it. And maybe it's because I just took in the editing more. Mm. Like that was more what kind of saved it for me. But like, yeah, that was, I, for me, I like, you know, I liked that the, the you know, mud pit scene, the swamp scene. I liked, I don't even know how I would describe it, but the scene where uh, Naru and Tabe get used as bait mm. to draw the predator out. And the predator just goes on a rampage through all the Frenchmen, um, you know, in, in the fog. You know, the scenes like that were approaching that kind of iconography, right? I, and maybe I wish that there had been a little bit more of it. But, you know, I thought there were other moments of visual storytelling that worked really well in the film and weren't action set piece things. And there were things that I, and, and I really liked them. Like, you know, something that I'm th like something that I'm thinking about even right now, days later, that's and it was something that immediately struck me was I love the brief narrative moment where it's just a couple of minutes we see of 
the predator basically like wandering around watching things kill each other watching animals kill each other and like like get it's totally silent there's no obviously there's no dialogue there's just you know adr just natural sounds but it communicates so well this idea of like he's new here and he's learning how things work like he's learning who's in charge i did wait i will admit that that stuff does work i think that is where I, I do wish again that there was a little more, I don't know how to describe it other than personality, but I think that's where the editing really does sell those moments because you have to learn, figure out how to communicate to an audience completely non-verbally, the thought process of an alien creature. And it has to do that entirely based on the rhythm of the scene. And I think that it is very effectively communicated. Yeah, I think Trachtenberg got that well. And maybe look, maybe here's what ultimately the problem is. Uh, and is, I could have probably predicted this, right? We we've seen what track what Dan Trackenberg can do with a tight scenario with really intense, like super well fleshed out characters, uh, with you know with edited thrills with like really simple concept stuff like trying to hide objects in a room while somebody while you know big brother is coming to you know to get you kind of thing like that's a really simple elemental concept that we know dan trackenberg can execute perfectly we had not until this point seen him attempt fight scenes and at this moment i don't even know if he really was the one mostly responsible for them it could have been it could have been entirely second unit direction like trackenberg could have just checked out and been like all right we got somebody who'll handle the fights right and maybe that's what the ultimate problem is because, you know, you look at somebody like John McTiernan, who that's his, that was like, that was his damn thing, mm-hmm. like was, was like orchestrating fight scenes. I mean, you've got Predator, you've got Die Hard, you've got, you know, I don't know, the Rollerball remake that sent him to prison, uh, but, you know, to actual prison, but uh, <laughs> No, but you know, my point, my point being right, like that, maybe that's maybe, yeah, I I might agree with that, right? That the, the action, the, the actual fight scenes lacked some, some personality. Yeah. And they, they are still, they are, to be clear, I still do think that they're pretty good. It's just that like, you know, they lack that extra oomph. Uh, So it's interesting you mentioned McTiernan there. I, cause one thing I didn't like about the first half of Predator is I, I didn't, I want I, I specifically remember not liking the first half of Predator was, was the fight scenes and I just thought like it was like gunplay that didn't do a lot for me and uh, well other- um uh, well I gotta tell you man that is the point I guess but I just it, it wasn't it wasn't that interesting to me I don't know it just and maybe if, if it doesn't if it's not your thing it's not your thing so it, it, it accomplishes what it wants to accomplish it just wasn't for me I mean why not so maybe maybe it, it was good for what it wanted to do one thing I think is interesting about this though is like you're doing the fish out and not, not the fish out of water thing <laughs> you're doing you're you're doing the uh the the, the sci-fi thing in in the past in the in the, in the seven in the 18th century or whatever so you have that you have that kind of uh clash of like this like uh, you know, creature with all this technology in the in the going going way back into you know the 1700s, and it's like okay, on the one hand, like how are these people going to beat this thing? Uh, you know, so it's it, it's an extra challenge there, and it's like, and 
And at the end of the day, it's, it's not all going to be from guns. So I think one thing I respected about the movie, and it was kind of the next thing I was going to ask you guys, because we talked so much about the technical stuff about this movie. And I'm in, you mentioned that you did kind of like the narrative structure of it, Daniel, but I'm curious just, as far as the storytelling choices for how they even get there in the first place, uh, how, how you think it did. Cause that was the other thing I really liked about the movie. And that like, I was kind of like dreading in the first half of the movie. It's like, am I, are we gonna have to like watch uh, Naru just like not even be able to like shoot an arrow like at all to like all of a sudden beat this thing with her like you know all of a sudden learning how to shoot an arrow over the course of like 24 hours like i was like i i was like kind of dreading like them like making that choice and i like actually really like their creativity even if it's not necessarily like all of it maybe not all of it's the most unbelievable action you've ever seen like i agree with daniel some of it's like really good i just kind of like appreciated their creativity and that it like got to the point where it's like you believe that like these people were smart enough to beat this thing with the choices they made with their wits and that they found a way that they found like a way to do it that didn't feel like cheating within the rules that were set up within this universe and that's one thing i kind of liked about the second half of this movie i'm wondering like did any of how they like got from point a to b to c to d still work for you daniel even if it wasn't like the most thrilling action you've witnessed at the movies in the last few years so i said actually earlier that um i did you know when i was interested in this project hearing that they had you know changed the setting to like 300 years ago because i think one of the through lines of all the predator movies um is this idea that humanity is able to beat this superior foe uh using just the tools at our disposal which are incredibly insignificant compared to the predator's arsenal i mean arnold schwarzenegger might have been like this you know badass commando in charge of a bunch of other badass commandos and shane black but um you know at the end of the day what kills the predator is his ingenuity um which is why i actually do really really love the beginning of predator just got to say that um the fact that it starts off in this 80s b move uh, you know 80s move action movie extravaganza with all this gunplay going on the explosions and it's meant to lead you into the mind of mode of thinking where it's like this is an 80s action movie and then supposed to lead you into the cast slowly realizing that oh no it's not you know we're not going to win because of our superior firepower um and i think that through line continues on in predator 2 and predators it's all about their ability to outthink this superior foe mm. um and i think that part of the predator franchise this film does key into in a very primal sort of way like it is i think the part that when i think of the stuff that i like that's the part that i cling to that being said (laughs) i do think that it still kind of lacks the thematic resonance of that first film i think that the structure is kind of very similar in that there is a mission uh, you know, in this case, the mission is for her at first it's to, you know, find this cougar or whatever. And then it becomes for her to find the predator and she goes out into the wilderness and then it's her against this thing. And there are complications that arise. Yes, but it is kind of following the same structure as the first, but whereas the third first has this meta commentary on the action film genre and also, you know, Vietnam's there, but like, I look at it as like an allegory as, as a commentary on the genre this film, I feel like it doesn't really lack that thematic resonance or that subtext. I guess you could, of course, there is stuff about colonialism in here. Um, it's there. And like, there is her personal odyssey, but there's not much there beyond that. And while that's absolutely fine, you know, that's, you don't need much to make a solid action movie. I mean, 
look at uh i think it's back to like the driver you don't need much but it doesn't replace what the first film has with something else i feel the second one at least had that sort of manic chaotic energy you know even if it lacked the sort of resonance of the first and in this one the narrative it's there for i guess it lives for that genre thrill and while it works within the moment you know thinking back to it it's just not as powerful and the fact that it's so similar to the first makes it harder for me to like really get it to. Mm. i don't know elijah did did some of those did, did any of those other kind of um any of those other uh themes that daniel was grappling with there like actually really resonate with you yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I know that this movie is not going to be as thematically dense as the masterpiece that is Predator 2. I mean, <laughs> who could be? Pred- Predator 2 is the most oh complicated movie thematically I maybe have ever seen. But no, never. I, what I, I think the I would say that the colonial critique of of prey works I, almost as or just as effectively as the as the post-Vietnam critique of, uh, you know, of, of the original Predator. And I'll double back to that in a second. I will also say, I don't know that it's necessarily fair to judge Prey against the meta genre critique of the first Predator movie because it is the first Predator movie. It is doing it for the first time. If this movie had also tried to be a critique on the genre, I think it would have just fallen on its face. Like To clarify, I'm not saying that it ought to have been. What I'm saying, though, is that it lacks that and doesn't didn't replace that um, commentary with something else. But clearly, you know, you did. So what can you elaborate on the colonial stuff? Well, yeah, the colonial stuff to me, I think it worked because it actually, frankly, just made it closer to text um, and that, you know, rather than subtext. And and I really appreciated that. I mean, I think another quiet moment for me that just works devilishly well in Prey is when Naru walks out into the open field and there's all the dead skinned buffalo, right? And the audience it's isn't it's kind it was crazy to me that it, like your first thought is like it's the predator and then it's like oh wait what <laughs> like there's this whole other aspect to it the the imagery it, like the the dualism of the imagery is so ever present and i i thought that it worked really well right because the first the first predator movie you know the the critique on vietnam is very simple very john milius-esque to me right where it's like you know the unknown danger in the jungle kind of thing and and there is this like obviously milius had his weird moments where he was super anti-war despite being basically a fascist but yeah he was definitely a fascist who didn't like vietnam right because he's like the, the the commandos are being punished in a way for their uh you know for being somewhere where they shouldn't be for you know being in the territory of this predator but like there i mean that works and it's definitely part of what elevates predator slightly above some other contemporary films most of george cosmatis's films i'm looking at you um but it works if you squint and you don't really pick it apart too much i think what works better about prey is that it, it confronts that idea head-on and some of it is a little, you know, yeah, like the the head of the the voyageur troop being like a comically ridiculous, you know, like 
fat babbling lunatic frenchman you know like okay it's kind of it's kind of goofy but for me it just it, it works because it is text because you can basically you can get these moments where it's clear that the movie is drawing a parallel in terms of threat between the predator and the the voyager while not necessarily drawing a moral parallel I actually, I'll grant you that. Like this shot of like the buffalo all skinned and then your first thought is predator. And then you're like, wait, but they're prey animals. But that doesn't make any sense. And then the realization that it is the humans, it's, you know, clearly the the, the com- message being communicated is, well, the predator might go and kill the strongest animal in the field, but it'll kill just one. Like it doesn't, it's not a butcher in this sort of way that's the purview of humanity that is the purview of the people that go and exploit others for their own vindictive you know wants and desires and i i think that carries through to the end right where when she returns to the tribe and she's victorious and she holds up the predator head and she says we're not safe here we need to relocate you know she's not talking about the predator. Yeah. Because she she doesn't know that there's more that are going to come. She doesn't know that. All that she knows is that there are more French people. There are more <laughs> voyageurs out there. And they are, they are just as much, if not more, of a threat to their way of life. And so I thought that was a really, I mean, just it's a really simple and effective way to kind of bring that thematic arc home. Mm, I grant you that. That was a good, that's a good final line too. Hmm. Interesting. Was there anywhere else you want to go with it, Daniel? Because I, I, I just, I had, a, I had a few other thoughts on a couple different action sequences. But was there, was there anything else we didn't touch on yet that you want to talk about? Well, there was actually, I, I, and I hate to do this, I really do. All right, just, so yeah, Am- you, you, you can admit you just didn't like the movie. You can start saying more negative stuff. It's okay. <laughs> Amber Mid Thunder. Look, here's the thing. I, you know, she had been so praised going into this movie. I go and I watch it, and I like. I don't really blame her. The material, there's not a ton to her character and like i don't think the filmmaking behind it visually kind of supports that the character of naru in the same way that it supports like dutch um and it certainly neither hold a candle to the sweatiest cop in la that is danny glover um but um i do think that there's not the characters in this film they don't pop in the same way as they did in those first two movies or even in predators and honestly maybe even the predator um like a trevante Rhodes in that movie man um like i i still remember that moment where he puts out a cigarette on his tongue uh Grant- Rhodes is the only good part of the predator though i, I <laughs> like, fair fair boyd, enough but boyd holbrook is i love boyd holbrook and that was a trash ass role for uh, him. well <laughs> i i don't love boyd holbrook so i'm willing to agree but in any case <laughs> like um in all those movies you do have um they're, they're not actually that huge ensembles maybe in predators and the predator but otherwise they're not really all that huge and the characters don't get a ton of definition but they are very clearly defined and colorful and yeah they start dying off really really quickly in all of these movies like i forgot that like um oh man what's his name bill paxton in predator 2 he gets like maybe two or three i mean spoilers for predator 2 he gets maybe three or four scenes and then he's dead you know what i mean he dies like halfway through the movie i completely forgot about that they don't get a lot of time with them but they're just so colorful that like you get a sense of who they are and who they've been their entire lives before they meet their inevitable end and with this movie 
outside of Naru, the only person who gets any real definition and even then barely is her brother. And I would argue even Naru herself, um, you know, her, uh, you know, her arc is that she really wants to be a hunter and then she becomes one. The end. And again, like, it's not like, you know, all the, any of these movies have super complicated protagonists, but um, at least they're sold in maybe costume design or in the visual storytelling. And I feel like all those things are missing in this one. And that meant that I had less of a connection to these characters, such as they were, uh, than pretty much any other Predator movie. I disagree. <laughs> I, also, I also disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I, I mean, I already talked about how I like her. She was like my favorite part of the movie, so I don't really need to like push back on you too much. But like, I, it just worked for me more, I guess. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, Elijah, but I, yeah, I mean, I think she is. I think part of the part and parcel to her performance, and maybe like maybe more than half of it is just the physicality. Like, she is so expressive, um, and so you know, we could we can talk at some point about her, you know, her technique as a as a fighter, as like you know, her training and and I'm not qualified to critique you know, it. It seemed fine to me. I you know, yeah, I mean she was she's good in Legion, you know, she she gets some fighting in Legion, um, and you know, whatever. But for you know, I, I like uh you know the, what they did, you know, they I think Dan Trackenberg recognized like this woman's got an expressive face, and so they put it on screen whenever they could. And I think that's that's really effective because, right, like one of the biggest problems of Predator of the first one is that Arnold Schwarzenegger does not have a very expressive face. <laughs> that's a lie. He can, but nobody knows how to get it out of him except comedy directors for some reason. I was about to Cop, say, well, actually, you know, I was about to say, shut up. And also um, the uh, or, 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 Joel, or Joel Schumacher. <laughs> Schumacher, right. or, well, or I like this. Hey, hey, or um, what's it called? Total Recall. Hey, come on. Total. Well, yeah, but Verho- okay, Verhoeven again. So I mean, that's three though. But I do yeah, grant you. The- I do. I do grant you that. That you know, his role in that film is not to be as physically expressive as um, Amber Mid Thunder is in this film. But I right. do think that the filmmaking does support him in that, uh, like the way that his character is first revealed. You know, you get all these badass hunky dudes leaving their military helicopter with that fucking amazing Silvestri score playing. And then you get this shot of him in the helicopter cast in darkness and he lights his cigar. He's leaning back. He's chilling. That is how you introduce a character and sell a character and communicate who this person is um, in a profound one profound. Or you can just watch a woman bonding with her dog. And look, I, I, so that Go should ahead. appeal to you of all people, Daniel. I look, I it works. If it was a me. horse, this would have been his favorite movie. <laughs> if of the only, year. oh, if only. <laughs> but we already had nope. But um, look, it is serviceable. I don't think that she's bad. I do agree that I like the physicality, but I just wish that it was better supported by the filmmaking. And like I just felt that it it just didn't leave the impression on me that it did with, you know, clearly so many others. Yeah, I mean, I would also say I just think her her arc is a little bit more complicated than what you laid out, right? I mean, I think you you touched earlier on the idea that uh, the main kind of conceit of the Predator movies in terms of their conflict of the sort of man versus nature, man versus the alien, man versus the unknown kind of thing, right? Is like when you're facing in the unknown, 
the the tools of your world will not help you you have to become use your ingenuity you have to use your brains you have to think differently and and that's what makes the first predator good that's what makes i think frankly what makes adrian brody one of the best parts of predators is they trade in the brawny 80s you know muscle bound hunk for adrian brody giving his best like clint eastwood impression Mm -hmm. and it's great He's not, he's not brawny. He's not muscular. You know, you don't really know what he looks like until the end of the movie when he's stripped down, you know, he's not wearing a shirt and he's, you know, fighting the predator with an ax. But prior to that, he is not the archetypical action hero. And for the most part, he is the smartest person in that group. And that's the only reason they, they, you know, that people survive in that group as long as they do is that he is in that the right headspace kind of thing. And I think that's what works about this movie too with Amber Mid Thunder is that she is, we see her early on where it seems what they're, what, what is trying to be conveyed, right? Is that she's like, if I can just master these weapons, if I can just, you know, if I can just hit the right shot. And that's what everybody's telling her, right? Tabe tells her, you, you just have to feel it in your gut and you just have to trust your, you know, your spear, you know, when the, uh, you know, when the bobcat gets up in your face, just, just stab it and you know you just have to face your your prey head on kind of thing and she realizes over the course of the movie of people just being mercilessly slaughtered whether it's by by animals or by the predator it's like that that is not going to work and she changes her approach she changes how she uses her axe she changes she learns you can watch her learn in the same way you watch yeah and it's just really perceptive of her to, of her to crack the idea of like oh, as long as I can figure out different ways to not be perceived as a threat, this will I'll be able to find and they, opportunity. And they plant that early on. They plant that she is smart. It yeah. may be smarter than she is good as a hunter. She she under like she knows about the herbs, you know, the orange herbs when that's just kind of like an old, old, you know, housewife's remedy sort of thing. And it ends up saving somebody's life. They I feel like it is planted that she is maybe a, a more perceptive hunter than she is like a strong instinctual hunter. And that's what ends up saving her at the, in the end. I suppose <laughs> it, it's still like, I don't know. Like I think narratively, narratively, that is true. It is true that she is established in scene two that, you know, this thing happens so that in scene 18, it makes sense logically that she, I don't have any question about the internal logic of the film. I just, wish that it was better presented because the way that it is it does to me still kind of feel like a pale imitation of the first i mean hell that final trap that she lays is pretty much kind of a entire reference to the finale of predator this is how dutch ends up killing the predator you know backed up into a corner arms like she is in the same physical posture as he is and like, whereas he was shouting at the predator, come on, come on, kill me. Um, by the way, side note, we haven't talked too much about how this ties into the rest of the franchise. And this is one of them. I don't know if you guys are, are aware of this, but it is canon in these movies that the predators, all their experiences are recorded by their helmets and then beamed up to their ship and then shown to other hunters. Yep. Mm. So like when, you know, she's pinned down and like the predator goes and tries to kill her, that is meant to like 
tie into how in Predator, Dutch is like, come on, come on, kill me. And it decides to go around because it figures that it's in a trap similar to this guy's well-researched. He went back to the three, 1700s. He went back 300 years to look at the records. And like, you know, just the fact that it, the film itself isn't visually inspiring that sort of um, comparison. I don't think it does it any favors for me personally. Interesting. It's funny. You, the come on, come on, kill me thing. You and I in the next week are going to be talking about bullet train. It's a very similar climactic, climactic uh, exchange uh, in, in that one. Um, I, I just want to shout out the, I want to shout out that bear scene again, though. I mean, beyond me saying that I didn't think the CGI bear was bad. I did think it was shot in a pretty uh, um, interesting way. And in so much as like, it had like all these different moments where like uh, she would get away from the bear, but then like, I thought they did a pretty good job of like, at least uh, your Trachtenberg did a pretty good job of like working with the space that he had uh, for that, sh- for that shot. Not that like you're having a really, not that it's a real bear, but just like, I-, I felt like I understood the geography of that little area they were having the fight in where every time she would get away from it, like there would be moments where it was like a- another 15 or 20 seconds again, it felt like before you even saw the bear, but you knew where it was coming from. And it was kind of interesting to see her try and get her Naru try and get her bearings, no pun intended. But then like all of a sudden, like you kind of knew the direction where the threat was coming from at that point. It it went on for a while, but I thought it felt like pretty unique in the way it kind of like the the ebb and flow of that fight. And it just, it felt a little different for me from maybe like another, how any other kind of creature encounter could have been. I just thought there were different smart things like that throughout the movie with how they paced out the action. Um, Elijah, anything else in the movie that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about before we wrapped up? Well, there, there's actually two things. Yeah. One thing I wanted to build off of that is because I think Daniel mentioned earlier, right. That it's like some of these spaces don't sell well. Um, and that, that the kind of the terra firma that the, that the, the land sort of always just seems to be effectively shifting for whatever the story is trying to say at the moment. That was my point. Was that your point? Okay, yeah. sorry. That, <laughs> I'm getting caught in all this negativity around here. Just uh, no. Um, for me, and maybe this is reading too much into it. Daniel will, of course, tell you that that's something I do frequently. <laughs> but what that read to me, as especially in the context of the bear scene, was it felt like a very elemental and very astute stylistic reference to kind of just mythology to especially to native american uh mythology and storytelling um if you look at you know a a lot of native american folklore folk legend um i I hesitate to say mythology because that's kind of a very western global north term there is a lot of that in in their stories uh be it be it comanche or other great plains tribes i was reminded you know in that scene specifically of like the legend of devil's tower you know it which is not uh comanche it's i think primarily features in kiowa and lakota folklore but Mm. it there is this larger than life quality that feels very irrespective of setting except for specific elements uh you know in the story of uh devil's tower i'm gonna i'm absolutely butcher this uh i don't don't remember the exact story but essentially there's two uh two boys in a uh, a large bear they meet a large bear in the wilderness and the bear wants to eat them and the boys climb up a huge rock or they, they, they climb to a high point and begin to pray. And uh, the creator God lifts the rock up out of the ground and the bear 
can no longer reach the them and begins to claw at the sides of the rock to try and huh. you know reach them and that's where they they claim that kind of the the striation and the the, the look of devil's tower that's where it comes from uh, you know there's different in i think in cheyenne version maybe there's a story of you know that you, you get a similar story but it's a trickster god that gets chased up the rock and you know tricks the bear into kind of trying to tear down the mountain and but that's that's what all this felt like to me is it's a very elemental story that invokes that you know kind of broad perspective of great plains native american folklore of you know it this the the setting feels kind of impersonal because it's just part of life for these characters they don't they don't it's not like predator 2 for example where la feels so like claustrophobic and textured and so familiar to the characters because the setting is so like like you know where things are the placement of things is so relevant to the story in this movie right there it's this wide open place there are no you know this is going to sound really essentializing but it's like there are no borders there's no there's no nations kind of thing and that to, to a degree is true they they knew that there were other tribes, right? The Comanche knew that there were other people living on the on the plains, but they there's never a sense of like we need to put a specific name and like identity to this place because it's just ours, it's just our home. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, that's why I've I was able to kind of get with the idea of like the the setting being sort of elemental and as long as it worked in the moment you said like in the bear scene i would agree it works in the bear scene that's that's what mattered to me more hmm. so that's the one thing i wanted to mention <laughs> i wanted to mention well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you added some other context to this to a point we'd already uh dwelled on a little bit uh what what, what was your other uh final point the other thing is just a small thing yeah. uh I liked that this movie, and I think we I already kind of touched on it with the, you know, talking about the French as a kind of a, a an omnibus character. There is there is a specific refer, referential character, right? Like the the one translator who gives Naru the pistol. That pistol is the one that the predator gives back to uh, you know, gives back to Danny Glover to to Mike Harrigan at the end of Predator 2. I was literally after you went on that first very, you know, insightful sort of um, 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 examination of how this storytelling side of keys into native storytelling in a way. I was thinking in my head, man, I'm going to sound really stupid when following all that. I just say I like that the pistol was the same as Predator <laughs> too. So well, I'm glad that we both had that same thought. I like that. But that's not what I was saying. Oh, what, okay. what I like is that I felt that it was a smart decision, actually, to not put way too much emphasis on characterizing the French character, like giving the French, the voyageurs like too much development or story, because first of all, we're not seeing them from a omnipotent perspective. We're seeing them from Nara's perspective. We're seeing them from the tribe's perspective. So I, you know, I'm fine approaching it from that angle. And also just, that's like my biggest pet peeve maybe with with the predator movies in general is when they get bogged down with tertiary carrot with like with secondary villains that are just fucking stupid mm. just complete the predator did it too 
And I'm not even talking about the CG Predator. I'm talking about Sterling K. Brown, the most, like, I love Sterling K. Brown, but goddamn is that character annoying. <laughs> he is just a, he is just a douchebag. In my memory, <laughs> the character was annoying, but the performance was great. But, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go too hard in the tank for the Predator. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think it's in the, it to, to a degree, it probably is a whole star knockoff for Predators, when that film just completely loses all its steam with Lawrence Fishburne's character. And again, love Lawrence Fishburne. Not a bad performance, but it was like they needed to communicate a specific point. So they just introduced the secondary antagonist and it just does it like the movie just grinds to a halt. It doesn't work. You better not the say any reason... shit about Gary Busey. No. The Gary Busey works great <laughs> because like he is just like absolutely lawn mowing scene yeah. you know lawn lawn mowing scenery through that entire film um and it's you know yeah i mean like that's a character that shouldn't work but does it's in keeping with the personality of the movie of course yeah absolutely so that's what i i liked about this is it felt very much like it was getting back to the original predator where there is really no there is no significant secondary villain you know the I don't even the Guatemalans. I don't even remember what country they're actually in. I, I thought it was Jamaican. But, no, he's talking about the Predator first, One. In the first Predator. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the first Predator, oh, okay. that'd be amazing if the first Predator was set in Jamaica. But um, <laughs> no, the, the next the, Predator for, for for Prey Two, they need to set it in uh, the Haitian Revolution. <laughs> but right, like the first Predator movie works really well because like we've disposed of the secondary villain very early on. Mm. And it's now just movie, the team. It's now just the team. Right. Doesn't get bogged down yeah. in any of the other crap. Well, well, but, like, but, and but, I, but think... I mean, in Prey, like, I mean, the these Frenchmen are there pretty deep into the movie, though. But it's just they don't, they're not there for too long, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, they're not given any more definition. I actually do like the fact that I was kind of worried that, like, when they started talking in French, that it would be, like, subtitled in English. And it's not because we are seeing them from her perspective. And again, unlike the uh, the Predator, the Predator himself, who is there to, you know, just, you know, yeah, he's there to kill, but that's it. They're there to colonize. You know what I mean? Like they are there to strip the earth of its essence. You know, uh, I, I, I do like that dichotomy. I think that their presence does introduce something into the story thematically that, um, you know, like, like he was saying, honestly, I don't remember Ster uh, Sterling King Brown's character that well, or I don't even remember Lawrence Fisher and being in Predators. <laughs> but uh, those characters, they don't add that much to the story, like th even thematically. You know, I, I will grant to this movie, as negative as I've been, that that the colonial characters in this one do. So yeah. kudos. Yeah. And I wanted I wanted to bring it up mostly because I know that somewhere on the Internet, right, there's people being like, why are the white characters not fleshed out at all? It's not their story. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm like they fucking shouldn't be. Yeah. So I'm glad. Uh, Daniel, anything else you've been watching recently you want to plug? I mean, you, you've been on the podcast a lot and you, we got a couple more coming up with you. So understandable if you are running low, but I know you're always watching stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm not running low. <laughs> I will say that, uh, I will say that as of late, I, I've been on like a very big action movie kick. Um, isn't that, which I, isn't, you know, isn't, that like, isn't that the norm for you though? 
Yeah, I guess. But like I've been gone through like the past week having seen like 20 action movies. Normally oh, you get yeah. a little bit of sprinkling <laughs> of other stuff. But um, I want to give a shout out to Holy Flame of the Martial World, which is a Shaw Brothers movie from 1983. The, the later day uh, Shaw Brothers movies, that's when they start going fucking insane. Because at this point you had seen all the training montages you could. And they start going into like fantasy storytelling. This is one of those, you know, siblings separated at birth trained by opposing sides going against each other in like this high flight it's almost like dragon ball z-esque flying sorcerers and paper magic and like you know magic swords and shit it is absolutely bonkers um you know that beautiful you know lush shaw brothers production and directed by uh lu chun ku who has become over this year one of my absolute favorite action directors he is one of the few to really really know how to use like a rapid style of editing plus the uh, under cranking that is often used in hong kong cinema uh, to its fullest extent and combined with this sort of material man it is like a, a thrill ride like you wouldn't imagine and uh i don't know because i've requested like a dozen movies from you if we'll ever get to carter but Carter is probably the most exciting, like audacious, boundary pushing action movie of the past maybe five years, even more so than RRR. I think this pushes the genre forward. It is when you talk about ambulance, I'm like, that's an experiment that just doesn't work. Carter is the experiment. Oh, no. That oh, no. Works. Come on, come on, come on. Carter is the experiment that works, whereas ambulance uses its camera and, uh, you know, the drone operators and such to remove you from the action uh this uses break action filmmaking form completely but in order to bring you into it it is a fucking triumph uh if it weren't the narrative weren't so overstuffed like many of these south korean thrillers are it would be one of the best of the year but as it stands if you at all care about action filmmaking or filmmaking in general you got to check out carter on netflix man this is a pro ambulance podcast uh, 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 uh it shouldn't be uh, uh, I haven't seen oh it, so God. don't look at me. Oh, man, I was looking for some. <laughs> you genuinely to you specifically, if you love ambulance, I I'm willing to bet if you watch this, you'll at least have to agree with me on the technical aspects. All right, uh, Elijah, uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, as far as what I've been watching, what, what, sure. Uh, or 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 or, yeah, or, or, I, or just something if you want to, you know, do do a professional plug in either one, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, frankly, I was about to say, I mean, what I've been watching, but I haven't really been watching anything new lately. I saw Bullet Train, which was fun, and this movie. So, you know, there's that. But uh, no, um, I guess, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll mention uh, Untold uh, on Netflix is uh, volume two, the second season of the Netflix documentary series, uh, sports documentary series, debuting uh, first four episodes, I believe, are coming out on August 16th. Um, and then the additional episodes will be on uh, the 23rd of August 30th and then September 6th. The, it's Untold tells a variety of stories of interesting moments and characters from the world of sports that are often uh, not discussed uh, in depth. The first two episodes that are debuting, it's a, or I guess the first episode is a two-parter debuting on the 16th uh is about Manti Teo mm. uh, who is the former NFL linebacker uh who during his days in Notre Dame was amazingly acclaimed and was renowned for having this killer season uh that was sparked off by his 
girlfriend and his grandmother dying on the same day, only for everybody to find out later, including Manti Teo, that uh, his girlfriend didn't actually exist and was a fabrication of a catfish. Made the term of um, household name, oh, household term. Exactly, yeah. Oh, um, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, so uh, the first uh, episode, two-parter, deals with that. And uh, there's a couple of other great episodes in the pipe after that. It's directed um, and uh, produced by the uh, the Way brothers, McLean and Chapman Way, who did, uh, if you're familiar with Netflix docs, they did Wild Wild Country about the Rajneesh cult um, in Oregon. I got to uh, work with Sean Coleman, great colorist, Company 3 on uh, Untold, and I'm excited for everybody to finally get a chance to see it. Cool. Um, I, I, for, for a while, for a minute, I was struggling to figure out if I was going to recommend anything myself, but then I realized I have, I have a good one. If we're here talking about uh, native storytelling, uh, season two of Reservation Dogs started uh, airing last week on Hulu also. Uh, and season one of Reservation Dogs is great. Uh, the first two episodes of season two came out last week. I can't say I love them as much as the first season, but I have a lot of faith that like, it's going to be a really good season on the whole. And it's really, I mean, I think, you know, Prey was unique in its own way and that it centered a, a native woman in like this kind of lead role and Reservation Dogs is, uh, you know, uh, pretty singular in that like I don't think you have that many shows or movies that are centered on what it's like to you know live in like uh you know live on a reservation in modern day and and make it a make it a comedy at that as opposed to being bogged down in a lot of the serious issues that I'm sure are present in those kind of communities it it I mean it, it it obviously touches on a lot of that stuff but it's really funny at the same time and it's uh just a really worthwhile show worth your time if you if you have Hulu uh Daniel you want to plug your letterbox or anything or anything else felonious funk on letterbox all right elijah you, you plugged your employer do you have anything else you want to plug social media wise yeah you can find me on letterbox um at mr smith goes to the number two fl like florida yeah uh i and i'm uh josh jernavoy j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on twitter and letterbox podcast twitter is uh at rewind movie pod podcast email the rewind movie pod at gmail.com Coming up next on the podcast, I think Daniel's going to be right back here to talk with me about Bullet Train and uh, Bodies, 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 and um, I don't know, uh, Day Shift, which is apparently Day movie, Shift. Which is apparently a movie that Daniel's going to make me watch. Um, and, Day Shift is going to be the best movie of the year. Um, and I honestly, I honestly don't know if there's anything else coming out in, in August besides the stuff that Daniel cares about because it's that's it's his time of year. You know, some people are like Beast. So, so, uh, so I, I, Three thousand years of longing. I, I do not know what any of those are. Uh, but uh, you know, some 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 people like I, I lean heavily on people like Elijah. You know, when it comes to award season and, and Daniel's season is everywhere else. Um, um, so uh, I want to thank Elijah and Daniel for joining me. I want to thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you next. Time.